Howdy, Rob Lee here, and we're going to get back to the truth in this art, but I want to do a little exercise with you. As you know, the truth in this art is an audio experience, so I'm going to ask you to do something a little different this time and visualize with me. I'm thrilled to reintroduce you to Forged Eatery, a true gem that captures the essence of farm-to-table dining in Baltimore. At Foraged Eatery, they have mastered the art of sourcing local and seasonal ingredients, resulting in a menu that will leave you in awe. Their commitment to quality and to flavor is simply unmatched. Picture yourself, see it's the visual, picture yourself uh, savoring their mushroom stew, a comforting and aromatic dish that transports you to a world of culinary bliss. The depths of flavor and the carefully selected ingredients will tantalize your taste buds. You can swap out and insert the focaccia, which is heavenly, or the irresistible cornmeal fried happy oysters. Each bite is a celebration of culinary mastery. Forged Eatery goes beyond being simply a restaurant. It's an immersive experience where the menu evolves with the seasons. Each visit promises a new and exciting experience for your taste buds, making every moment unforgettable. So, fellow food fans, fellow food lovers, it's time to discover the magic of Forged Eatery. Let their innovative approach to dining and their passion for locally sourced ingredients transport you to a world of culinary excellence. Don't miss out on an extraordinary dining experience. Plan your visit to Forge Eatery today and let your taste buds revel in the true flavors of the season. It's time to indulge in a gastronomic adventure that will leave you craving for more. For more information, visit ForgedEatery.com. Welcome to the Truth in Us Art. I am your host, Rob Lee. And today we're diving into New Orleans's vibrant culture to explore the innovative mind behind Culturalist, a platform reshaping the city's artistic landscape. My guest is a sculptor, technologist, and writer, as well as the founder of Culturalist. Please welcome Sam Bowler. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Rob. It's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to have you on. Uh, this is this is going to be um, really cool. Uh, we were able to chat a little bit before getting into the the main thing. No one's going to get any of that audio, but before we get into the sort of main crux of this conversation and the main themes here, um, I'm going to give you the space to you know introduce yourself and describe your current work. And I, I think it's some value in it. And some people may think that it's you already said this. You already did this in the intro. But I think how a person describes themselves has a lot of power and weight to it. So please, the floor is yours. Thank you, sir. Um, man, well, this is just a, yeah, this is a pleasure. So thank you again. Um, I, my name is Sam Bowler. I live in New Orleans. Um, I've been here for about 13 years. And um, my current work is focused on how do we build a future that takes care of artists? Um, and I'm doing that. I'm based in New Orleans and sort of this idea came to be um, while I lived here, but also the seed of it um, from growing up. I grew up in a family where my mother was a writer. My dad was a, a businessman, but I said the, the melding of those two. Um, I've just been a firm believer that art is a, a pathway that leads you to yourself and to other people. And our society needs more of, of those type of pathways. Um, and my mother passed when I was 15 and she what she taught me before she passed was basically like here's how to process emotion hmm. get it out you know emote and process it through art um so i've been writing you know basically my whole life um and then recently got into sculpture you know i guess more recently but um that is is a big guiding principle for me is that art is good for your soul and it's good for cities and I live in a city that the cultural economy here is generates $10 billion per year of tourism spending. So that, that means there are 19 million tourists that come to New Orleans every year to consume its culture. And they spend $10 billion while they're here. But the average artist is making about $19,000 a year. And rent has gone up 75% in the last five years. Um, so 
the economics of of the cultural economy here don't make sense. Um, and my current work is is called Culturalist, and we're tr- we're building digital infrastructure that makes it easy to find artists anywhere. So you can think of that kind of like Craigslist, where Craigslist made it really easy to find couches and and cars, yeah. and standardized how classifieds work in different cities. And we want to do the same thing for how artists are found locally and also how opportunities for artists are found. Grants, call to artists, residencies. We think that there should just be a network that exists connecting every single city where both somebody driving through can say, let me see all the poets in New Orleans, as well as the poets that are there can get notified about any grants or residencies that they're eligible for that might be floating around the country. because that kind of infrastructure doesn't exist right now. And as a result, it's harder than it should be to be an artist locally. And so I'm trying to change that. Thank you. Wow. Um, and that is absolutely a much needed pursuit. I, I find um, many places or, or entities that are in those sort of spots of, we don't want to call up gatekeepers, but they have sort of that that position. They They act in that way. And that leads to you know, ideas around scarcity, especially with places that have a lot of, you can throw a rock and run into a creative, you know what I mean? It's sort of that energy. And I see it up here and that's all in Baltimore. And I, and I, I see it in the small pockets in those instances where I go down in New Orleans and, you know, it's almost like the, the sort of, um, being baptized or what have you through like the creative waters. I, I feel that when I go there and, you know, being able to do my creative thing. And, you know, as I was sharing with you a little bit earlier be, before we got started of being able to go down there and just feel like I'm around creatives. There's just this constant thick creative energy that's just there. Everything else doesn't really matter. I'm able to get my stuff in and go down there to be a journalist, a documentarian, or whatever one might call it, but be able to have cool conversations and it feels familiar. And it reminds me of Baltimore and it's because of the the people and the creativity that's just everywhere. Um, So I, I want to ask this sort of like secondary questions relates. Were there any stops within your background that, you know, has, you know, you mentioned your, your parents or what have you sort of the business side, sort of the creative side, which your mom's writing. Um, speak a bit on maybe previous stops, like before coming to New Orleans, you're from Texas, right? Dallas, Texas. Yep. And were there any other stops during this time that, you know, you kind of see showing up and how you approach your work or different sensibilities in your writing or even now in your sculpture? Talk about that a little bit. Mm, That's a great question. Um, so I was born in Dallas, Texas. Um, I've got two older sisters, shout out to Sarah and Ann. Um, and but I'm the only one in my family born in Texas. So lots of people can claim Texas like deep, deep roots. I can't do that. So um, my mother was was British and Canadian. So we'd spend a lot of time in Canada. And then we moved to London when I was five to, to be by her family and for my dad's work. And I was there till I was eight or so. I think that that I, I then arrived back to Texas being this like weird. My hair was really long and I arrived at this like very conservative um, Texas elementary school and, um, all the like jock boys made fun of me cause I had really long hair. Um, and it was just kind of this, like, I've, I've just come from this like incredibly creative, just like by being on the subway, by walking in the city, you're just like seeing, you know, people that are expressing themselves differently than like one neighborhood in Texas might. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I think that I, I brought, there was a lot of pride in that. My family was like, kind of like held on to that in Texas um, so I feel like that was a big, a really influential part of how I think about the world is like that it's hold on to your differences and hold on to the things that, um, you know, might otherize you from the status quo, because that's where things get interesting. And that's what, what, what you can like sort of have a unique perspective. Um, and I'm really grateful for that. I think that, um, that was a big part of what was encouraged in us, um, so yeah, and then I went to college in North Carolina. Um, I expected, I went to Duke and I expected Duke to be, I didn't had never been there. I ran track in, in high school and and Duke recruited me. So I went there sight unseen because um, I went to the kind of high school that's like really intense on, you know, where you, where you went to college. And so 
I, it just, I, I wasn't really thinking a lot about like, is this the right fit for me? It was just like, I got in, let's go. And then expected Duke to be this like intellectual environment where people were like, you know, having like the conversations spilling onto the quad and like yeah. wearing, people wearing berets and like, you know, having like existential conversations about, uh, you know, liberal, liberal ideas. And it just really wasn't that. And right. it was lots of frat parties. And I was like very disillusioned. And then I think another big stop in my college career that got me thinking about things differently was there was a, um, a retreat in college that basically was just like, let's talk about race, gender, and identity issues. Um, and in a, in a campus of like, I think 4,200, um, undergraduates, there were a hundred people that went on this retreat and there were only two white men, hmm. which is like not the, the demographics of the campus. Right. And so like the, 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 really clearly that like the the white men of, of campus like didn't have to think about these things so they just didn't they didn't opt into this kind of retreat and i sort of got plugged into it because i was unhappy and yeah. like somebody was like hey you should check this out because it's a community of different people that you might not meet in the circles that you're running with um and i was super grateful for that it sort of changed how i thought like the people i met in college changed how i thought about the university um and really changed like a lot of my idea of, of how I wanted to do work. So, um, yeah, those are, those are some like influential stops that I think have informed. And throughout that, it's like, how can I remember who I am and where I've come from and, and hold on to the, the, these different sort of perspectives gleaned from different experiences. Good. Thank you. And, um, you know, you, you kind of touched on one of those things where, uh, and, I, I I have a I used to have a question I would use regularly of um you know like embracing one's weirdness you know mm -hmm. I think that's those those unique traits that make us us like you know for me I'm a six foot four black guy that's a certain age from a certain place that likes these things so naturally references come up in conversation like I like wrestling for for instance right. And I'm like, yeah, man, I job this thing out. And someone that's supposed to get it, they'll get it because they know the sort of thing. But it's like just embracing it. Whereas in the past, I would shy away from saying things that were, were that and would feel like stilted and unnatural. And it's like I'm sending the representative. So going back to the feeling thing you touched on and also embracing one's weird weirdness and figuring out who you are and just being who you are. It's, mm -hmm. it's a lot of importance there. Yeah, I think it's like the, the lifelong work. It's like that, that I think about that a lot. I just yesterday went for a walk after a, a call because like right now I'm meeting with a bunch of cities to yeah. say like, how do you support your artists? And do you want to join this network um, that we're building in Culturalist? Um, but before I just like had this call and then I went for this walk and was like, did I bring all of, did I bring my full self to that call? You know, like, was I was I like kind of irreverent and a little jokey and like, and because that's kind of, that's how I like to be. And so why don't I bring that to these calls instead of just like, like having this very buttoned up approach where like, I'm, I'm, I'm acting or puppeting what I think they want me to be like, to like, you know, hope that they respect me or like as respect the work or whatever. Um, so that's something I've been thinking a lot about is like, how do we just bring ourselves more, the full scope of our humanity to these calls because like what are we doing if we're not you know and it's like yeah so it's i think it's cool you you brought that up and um we're thinking about the same thing you yeah know? i think you know when i talk with different folks and you know they're especially in like the sort of podcast space i think you know folks are always looking for the personality who is the person behind it and that's mm -hmm. what i try to achieve and you know some of the questions i have ask even the rapid fire stuff who's the person show some of the personality and within this sort of framework and i find that you know like people value it but they want to shift it at times i was um asked to do a talk about why i started the podcast overall and i was very honest about why i started and and i'll say it here you know, Trump said some goofy stuff about Baltimore and I didn't like it and I wanted wow. to disprove it. And, yeah. you know, the, the organizer was like, can you take the Trump stuff out? I was like, so change the narrative of the start of this podcast while describing yeah. the start of this podcast. 
was like, it's kind of taking me out of it, I guess. And I don't want to do the sanitized thing. I don't want to do the perfect thing. And I think in terms of art, creativity, and sort of authenticity overall, it's, it's never perfect. <laughs> yeah. What you just said there about like, you, you want to be honest. It's like, that's what I think it is. It's like, I want to be, I want to say the truth. And if I speak from that place, whether about my work, about myself, about what I am caring about, thinking about, then as opposed to like what I think somebody else wants to hear, if I'm saying the truth according to me, yeah. and I'm going to learn more, one, and two, it's just going to come out like we, that's something that we connect with. People can, can hear it. And, and when, when you're telling the truth for yourself and they might not agree with it, but they can hear it better than if you're just trying to package something in a way that, that is meant to achieve some goal, like selling something or, um, you know, getting more people to listen or whatever it might be. And we're, and we're sold stuff all the time at this point, whether it's through the social media, whether it's through just apps that you're not going to pay for the professional version and pay for the free version. And it, it's there. And I think you're, you're, we're always looking for something real and uh, that honesty. And, and that's what folks kind of expect from me and, and what I'm doing. And, you know, at, at times it's like, I don't know if this is interesting to me, um, let's say a particular topic or maybe someone's work, but I may see value in it from a different, different lens. And I, and I articulate that when I'm having these, these conversations, it's just like, you know, I don't know how qualified I am for some of the things that, you know, I reach out and do, but ultimately it's like the professionalism shows through me being honest shows through and it always turns out well. So it's, it's just something there. Um, so I want to I want to move into this next question. You you were touching on a little bit here, but talk about like starting culturalist. Like, what was that that moment, if you will? It was like, eh, this I I need to be the person that's doing this, or I need to really commit time and energy to this because you know I stated you know my thing of Trump said and something. Well, where's my mic? Where's my recorder? <laughs> yeah, right. But yeah, when you, when you said Trump says some silly things, that's a, gener that's, a, that's a generous way of putting it. Silly is the generous way. But yeah, I, um, yeah. I, I, let me think. I mean, I, I, the it's very much culturalist is very much in line with with my theory of change, which is basically like we need to connect people to themselves and each other. That's kind of like I have that written like right above my desk, um, and so culturalist is a pathway to do that. I think when it came to this specific project and the way it works, there was sort of three moments for me. I moved to New Orleans um, and was trying to connect with other people who do sculpture work because it's expensive to certain there's equipment and stuff that's expensive. And I just come from a studio in, in college where I had access to this stuff. And so I wanted to tap in. So I reached out to the arts council here saying, is there a directory that I could reference? They said they had one, but they shut it down because it was too hard to maintain. Um, then I did some Googling on my own and found a couple names. And but most of them were out of my league or like were just like really established or didn't live here anymore. So it took me a, several months to like really understand and be able to like begin to to tap into the, the community of, of sculptures down here. Um, so that was the first light bulb of like, this is a creative city full of artists, world famous for, you know, like you spoke to earlier, there's just like an, a creative energy down here. Yeah. And yet it's hard to find the artists. And yet those artists likely want to be found because that's how they, that's how they could make a make a livelihood. So why is that so hard? Um, that was the first light bulb. The second was learning how little artists were making despite the cultural economy being the size that it, that it is. At the time it was just shy of 7 billion a year since it's grown to 10 billion and artists income levels haven't changed um, since 2016 or so when this idea first sort of came to be for me and then the third idea third light bulb moment for me was i was a school teacher i taught seventh grade writing and i had a couple students in the class that had been really failed by the education system in louisiana there's a whole bunch of you know there's a whole other story there but um these kids I remember this kid was sitting in the back of the class and there was, I tried multiple lessons and this, this, this is a, was a very angry child because he had just had not been, he just needed some, some like one-on-one -on -one time and love and care from a teacher as opposed to just like getting handed assignments or packets um, and not being, you know, uh, really taught well. 
the one lesson all year that worked was uh, like a free writing or a free drawing lesson. And so I just watched art unlock this this child in a way that reminded me of how how just like that feeling of being able to participate where there's no wrong answer, where like the only wrong answer is to not even try. It gets me emotional. It's just like such a such a powerful thing and it's such a human thing. And so for us to to encourage that, encourage more like we want that child to grow up to be an artist. You know, even if they're not like, if they don't have a, they're not like a professional artist where they're full time making their money from their art, they could be working an office job and still have a creative practice. So we just like want, it's good for the soul to be, to be getting, to be expressing yourself. Um, and so culturalist is a manifestation of all these ideas put together is let's make it easy for, for artists to exist in a city. So if you're an artist in the city, you can get a free website. You can get all the notifications about all the grants you want. People arriving in the city can easily find you, you know, and then we want to connect it all in a network. So it just is, it just, we, we make it easy, easier than it is right now. And this is just the start. The, the, the goal is to, to have every high school student in New Orleans get a free portfolio website that they can just be adding to, you know, from freshman year on. And so that we start giving students these creative tools that they can have forever and that there's this infrastructure that's not profit motivated that just exists for artists to use and tap into paid for by the institutions that we already pay our tax dollars to which is these arts councils yeah. so their technology is not that ex it, it, it's not expensive to host anymore it used to be but because it's so ubiquitous it's not expensive to to host data and so this infrastructure can be provided to a small town in the Bayou region of Louisiana. It can also be provided to New Orleans, you know. Yep. And so why don't we just do that? And that's kind of those three light bulb moments in combination with just sort of my theory of change made me dig in, learn how to code, you know, built the first prototype. Took me a year and a half to get, you know, the first city on board. Um, and now we're in 12 cities. And again, like I said, we're talking to lots of states and cities right now. And um, yeah, I'm excited. It's exciting. It's been really hard. It's been like a, it's been like a, a, a crucible for, <laughs> for like my ego. Uh, <laughs> but um, it's clearly, I think this is where I'm supposed to be, you know, for now. And I, uh, I, I need to trust that more and more because I keep choosing it. So um, yeah. And I believe in what, what I'm, what we're trying to do. That's, that's wonderful. I love hearing it. So um it's it's inspiring it's it, it connects I, I see like overlap and how i'm approaching my stuff uh and and, and what the aspirations are and, and and what i've been working toward and i i hear that coming from you and yeah you know sometimes i have to you know try not to be as idealist as as i am at times but that's my natural preset and I'm just like, well, the reason it didn't happen because it wasn't a priority, you know what I mean? And, and, and I do that, or I even call it other things. Like when I may pitch something that is, you know, beneficial for the community, beneficial for, so the arts community and, um, and I get either some version of no, it's like a nicely worded canned email of rejection. And I'm like, okay, not to have that ego crush. I'm like, they just don't have the vision. Whereas I can talk to someone that is at a high level and they, they may not be in this in, in Baltimore or in the sort of same lane. And they'll say, that's a great idea. Yeah. We're going we're gonna to nip that idea. I was like, cool, do it there. Credit me, whatever. But it is one of those things. And it's, it's because it's, it's not a priority or they don't have division. And I just keep kind of working at my stuff. Like, you know, I tell people that this is not a funded project, you know, for the most part, you know, I got a piece here to do this and that and, you know, podcasting and equipment and all of that stuff has different costs and to keep it going, it needs sort of that intersection of creativity and business. Yeah. I mean, I feel like Rob, you're, you're like a perfect example of what we're working for, you know, is like somebody who has a cl really clear vision of what they want to put into the world and and the impact your work is having on countless people that you're not only interviewing but who are listening to these interviews like the ripple effect of the work is is like you can't even quantify it it's it's like and that's what is the magic is like 
we're here and we're alive and we're doing like figuring stuff out for ourselves and for our communities. And to share that is like, that's really what we want more of. Um, And where there's not these like correct answers or homogenized ways, approaches, it's like, we just want everyone to be doing their thing. And the more folks doing that, the, the, the better things get for lack of a better way to describe that, just like the better things are. So is, is there, and you, you spoke on it a bit, um, is there like, when you think of sort of impact or what have you, right? And I say that with the inverted commas or quotes, um, like a piece of impact around culturalists that kind of sticks out for you. Like, you know, sort of you touched on the expansion, you know, six years in, right? And and, and things of the sort and even sort of just that inspirational component. Um, and I think there's a lot of impact in providing like sort of those resources and infrastructure, but w- what else comes to mind for, for the folks that are out there who are like, I'm not sure. I, I want to know more. What have you, what comes to mind for you when you think about the impact? Um, I think one story comes to mind. We did this um, activation during jazz fest here. Jazz fest is a two day to over two weekends in April and May. And it's this massive festival and we get a whole influx of people um into new orleans and so what we did was we chose uh i think like 30 or 40 artists and we made these big posters for them where i could i could show you but people on the podcast can't see it but it's basically (laughs) this almost like three foot tall two foot two and a half foot wide poster with just whatever we we reached out to the artists and said send us whatever photo you want and artists sent us their work or like a really beautiful headshot and we just linked to their a website of their choosing, you know, like their Instagram or their website or some use their culturalist portfolio pages. But then we put them up in this sort of gallery on the street and we had 3,500 people walk through every day. Um, and this artist pulled up, like this car like came around really quickly and like pulled up outside and this whole family jumped out. And I was like across the street talking to somebody else about like what, what culturalist is. And they crowded around this, this like, poster and they were just like jumping up and down like super excited because it is and then i talked to the artist they were like my work has never been out in the world like this you know like this this has never happened and so just this like moment and then like her partner who ended up who took the photo of her that was on display he was like this is insane for me like this is so big had this big hug it just was like this beautiful moment and that's what i think people need it's like the people who are making work everywhere not just New Orleans are so special and doing doing incredible things, and so we just want to elevate those people. And I think what we're we're starting with that is like let's get artists resources, and so we've got lots of stories around that, like artists getting grants, finding you know we've heard stories of bandmates, you know bands being formed from artists finding each other, art, musicians finding uh, artists to do their album artwork on cultural. Um, somebody just moved to Lafayette and didn't know any of the artists and use culturalists to like tap in and connect with a bunch of artists. So we get these anecdotal stories about like, about that. But I think seeing that in real life of just like this artist be so pumped, I was just was like, damn. Yeah, it was so, it was such a cool moment. Um, so that's what we want to do is just like all of these everywhere worldwide people are creating. And so how can we make it so that like, they're just easier to find and get all the resources they need? That's, that's, that's dope. That is so cool. Um, I, you know, I always get tickled um, because I've been doing this so long and I'm not completely jaded yet. I always get tickled when I'll have an artist on and like, this is my first podcast. This is the first time someone was interested in, and had me on and they, they have nerves. And then I'm, I'm like, I'm nervous as well because this is blind dating, but for creatives or what have you. And yeah. I, I, I can, you know, I don't, I don't get a lot of press here for, for doing this sort of like project or what have you. And, you know, in those instances, you celebrate those wins, you celebrate those instances, because it's not really me. Like, as you can see in the background of, of this, 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 uh, my screen, it's a cartoon of me that I had a local artist do. Mm-hmm. So it, it's that, right? And I remember one of those instances, I was um, in our arts, one of our arts districts, and they have this big LED board. And me, my dad and brother in the car, he's driving through, and then my dad sees a big like 50 75 foot like led of me pop up on there and stops the car and i'm like this is a green light what are you doing and he's like oh that's you and i was like yeah it is and it's one of those those moments and i would imagine that that led board is kind of one of those sorts of um you know you you you're starting to make it 
And yeah. I've heard from from different artists, especially at the um, the art school here um, and, and Micah here, that you know being on this podcast in some instances is kind of like you made it. People are noticing you, and I'm like, okay, that's a responsibility. That's a duty there. People are gassing it up when their interview is dropping. So you know, taking that responsibility is just it's all of it. And you know, the the other thing you know, that I think is really interesting and really impactful is, you know, again, going back to my vision comment, you know, where, you know, there are entities, there are um, nonprofits, things of that nature that could help move something along, can help, you know, with their name and their sort of infrastructure, help an artist do their thing or help a project get off the ground. And again, it's not a priority, but from what you're, you know, describing with culturalists and providing that sort of like, here's, you know, portfolio access, here's this network, here are these, you know, RFP or these grants. That's something that people just miss because what it is, is we're creating. We're so busy creating and doing our work and going through that process that I don't have time to write up an application for a grant that's going to get rejected. (laughs) Exactly. I, I guess I'll say one more thing on that point. Like, that is a really good example of like, there's, there's barriers to, to, accessing resources for artists either like there's gatekeepers that keep certain information to themselves whether that's like purposeful or just because their newsletter is only a certain type of person um or they um have to scour all these different lists to find something that they might qualify for so i think just like the the logistics like the wiring and the plumbing of art information and opportunities in this country is just not as efficient as it should be. And that's like nationally. It's just like, it's not, the plumbing should be there. So that like every, everything, a little art center in New Haven, Connecticut can share a little call to artists that if an artist in, in Baton Rouge is eligible, they should be able to find out about that. And right now they just can't because everyone's, every organization and artist is limited by their own digital radius um, that they fight for, you know? So. Yeah. I, I run into it all the time and, you know, describing kind of how I do this stuff. If it's like, I'm going to be at a physical location in, you know, New Haven, Connecticut or in Providence, Rhode Island, and I'm coming from here, but literally I'm intentionally doing a series of interviews in that city with those artists, then what, can, how can we collaborate on it? How can we make that happen? And, you know, it's, it's still a version of no, but it's not a well thought out thing. And, you know, you, you talked about coding earlier. I'm a data analyst by day. So you mentioned coding. I was like activation. I've been a data analyst as long as I've been a podcaster. They've been hand in hand. And I just look at it. I was like, that's a bad answer. You know, it is like, oh, we just has to be in this. Like, you got to think this through a little bit more. <laughs> exactly. As a data analyst, it's like we don't this is like a gets me so fired up. It's like we don't know how many artists live anywhere, mm-hmm. <laughs> like nowhere. And we don't know what they need. And like, we have assumptions about what they need, but like really when it comes to like doing good research and evaluation, like asking the people what they need or like, you know, understanding how many grants are available or like what's going on. This the data in the arts field is diffuse and siloed. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just like a, it's a, it's a, it's just because there's a whole reason, bunch of reasons why, but it's like we inherited this like sort of individualistic approach to like building technologies. So everyone builds their own thing, you know, and that's it just like as a result, there's so many wasted resources and we don't know what each other is doing. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've even looked at doing doing this in this sort of upcoming season. You know, there were a few folks because I, I think there's value in it that, you know, I might offer up some guest slots of you host a few episodes, you take this over and kind of spreading the wealth. And I'll be there as a producer helping, you know, from what capacity I got bit by the bug. Um, I'm teaching a group of students how to podcast. I have like a group of students that I'm working with. And and my partner was like, do they call you Mr. Lee? I was like, they do. And I don't like it. It, I love it, but I don't like it. And she was like, oh, you're like a teacher now. I was like, don't do that. It's dangerous minds. Where's my leather jacket? (laughs) Yeah, I'm a badass teacher. (laughs) But yeah, it it is one of those things of, you know, and I spoke with one of the students today about it. And I was like, you know, if I can do anything from my vantage point, 
to help you. I was like, here's the sort of quick and dirty of how you get these things done and, you know, don't abide by this is the professional way of doing it, or this is my masterclass. It's like people are finessing. And I was like, here's directly to the tap. I'm a working regular podcaster. This is how you get it done. And, you know, that's, that's what it is. And I never thought that I would one be working with, with students like 14 year olds and, um, and then having more opportunities there because, you know, in it, I, I hear often that, you know, black male teachers in Baltimore is a limited number. It's, it's not a huge number. So I don't have a teaching degree, I have a business degree, but, you know, in terms of being like a subject matter expert in this particular area and talking about it and knowing it. Yeah, sure. Why not? Let's do it. Let's make it happen. If I can help. That's so inspiring. <laughs> I love that. So let's see. I got um I got like three more real questions. I want to shift a little bit to New Orleans from a sort of macro lens, right? Um, as we were talking about earlier, I was sitting here marking out about how much I enjoy New Orleans, how much I love New Orleans. It's my second favorite city. I mean, Baltimore's always Baltimore. Um, but what what factors contribute to making New Orleans cultural scene like so I hate the word vibrant, but I'll use it in this instance, vibrant and strong, resilient, because I see those connections between Baltimore and New Orleans in those particular ways. So from your vantage point, what do you think, you know, maybe the maybe other words that come to mind, too. But what are some of those factor, factors that contribute to New Orleans like cultural identity? There's a quote from an artist here. Um, who goes by phlegm. Um, and the quote goes, everything you love about New Orleans is because of black people. And that was like an anthem that has it just like really resonated with people here because it, it's true. It's like this, this city, the culture is a direct result of the people who live here, like alchemizing all the things they, they went through and go through into creative creativity creativity into joy and in, in sort of expressing what they've been through and expressing their emotion and i think that's what the city like has a magic to it because the, the the people here have have been through so much and have have transformed their experience and continue to do so um and that that there's like this this aliveness that you feel when you get here and i think it's just that's why it's so important to take care of the people who create culture because it's, it's all it is. It's just like, it's just people living in the way they're living, impacting the way they're impacted, processing those those experiences. Um, so I think that, and I, I say this as like, I'm a 30 something white dude, not from New Orleans. Um, and so a lot of my work has been, you know, like recognizing that there's been a history of folks arriving to New Orleans and like being really extractive with the culture. Um, and so a lot of my work here is about like recognizing that and, or just like understand, or just understanding that that history has played out here. And so, um, it's just really, so it's just super important to like, listen to what the city is telling you, you know, and, and I think I have been so drawn to this work because of my own experiences, which we spoke about earlier, but I came here as an 18 year old. Um, and it was the first place I came in college the summer after my freshman year of college and I was living alone and fishing a lot, working for this, this nonprofit in St. Bernard parish, which is right next to Orleans parish, but living in new Orleans. And, um, it was just sort of the first summer that I was like, Whoa, like I'm, I'm alive. Like, and I'm in this city and just watching how to carry both like grief from my mom and like how to like combine that with joy and like just the, like the way that new orleans does those things and balances those things and like it's just it's like astounding and i think i was just was like i have to be here because like this this city has teaches me so much and it's it can be a hard place to live for various reasons as everywhere it can be we've got our 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 shit too excuse my language but um yeah so i think um that's new orleans is special because of its people you know and um that's why it's critical that the city takes because there's been gentrification here. There's been an influx of people that want to be close to that culture, myself included. And that changes things, changes who lives in what neighborhoods. So all of that is at play here um, in a big way. And so I think um, 
our effort just continues to be like, let's listen to what people the people need here who create culture and let's and let's centralize things so they can get access. That's like as the as just the stand that the bare minimum of what we should be doing as a city. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. Um, and he actually made my job a little bit easier. You you kind of knocked out one of my other questions. So I have one last real question. And it's a good piggyback to sort of that 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 last response. Um, New Orleans continues to grow, right? And evolve. Like I think a lot of these cities, when you need, there's no secret, you know, out there about it. How how do you see the city preserving its unique cultural identity while embracing like progress and development? Because I find like, you know, I see it happening here in Baltimore. And at times it feels like it's trying to um, copy in some instances other cities. And I'll, I'll give you this scenario. You, you might like it. Um, there's so many times I go to brunch up here and they're like, this is our shrimp and grits. I was like, this is not shrimp and grits. Okay. And I, I get really persnickety about it. <laughs> and and, and it, it's something like that. When you go to a place, you're like, no, though, this is a thing that's very, you know, connected to the culture, whether it's low country or whatever the, the thing is, it's very connected in that way. And when you're putting your spin on it, it's like you're losing pieces of that culture. You're losing some of those references. And I'm talking about food in that instance, but something more broad, like a cultural component. How does a place grow while keeping the stuff that keeps it cool and keeps it that tourist attraction? That's that's sort of the thing. That. <laughs> yeah, that. <laughs> like a, that is like the question, you know, and I think it's like. You could spend a whole lifetime, I think, trying and 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 I may do that. Who knows? But like the idea of like how do you both preserve what's has made a place so special as well as make room for growth without yeah. sacrificing that, without like undermining the the root of of like magic. Um I think, yeah, that's just like an ongoing discovery an ongoing conversation um and i think not to reiterate what i said earlier but like it feels to me like whenever i get heady with that kind of question i'm like okay how do we just simplify that let's just simplify it and to me it always comes back to just like we need to be taking care of people um and if we can do that well uh and and when i say well like there's like many bullet points inside of that word. Well, like what does well mean? How do you, how do you care for people? Well, um, it's by listening to them. It's by like building spaces that, that like, that are, are safe and that, um, like that aren't, um, sacrificed to economic progress for the, for like the comfort and health of, of citizenship. Um, there's a whole bunch of stuff in, the, in that, in, in caring for a people well, that I think, we need to holistically approach that. Like there's a, a project that might happen in my neighborhood where the army Corps of engineers wants to replace this lock system in this canal. And it's a 15 year project that would disrupt all the neighbors around it. And it's those kind of projects that like, we, I just don't want New Orleans to have a short view on, um, because it's going to impact people for that's, that's like, it's a, a, a huge chunk of time that neighborhoods will be totally disrupted and people who lived in these neighborhoods yeah. will be disrupted. Um, so I think just to simplify it, it's like if you continue to care for the people who are from a place that give a place its identity, then you can, you can align like you can hope what you can do is like do your take care of those people and then trust that those people will honor that and, and recognize that and then will continue to like give back and give their give themselves to that city into that or to that community um i think there's probably some rule book or manual on how to do this like in terms of bullet point in terms of like programmatic things to get done but for me it's that simple it's like let's take care of the people um, and if people feel like they're being cared for and listened to and respected, they'll care for each other better and they'll care, care for newcomers better. Yeah. And then th those newcomers arrive and they influence the culture in the ways they, they will, uh, will, you know, and then things will grow and change and evolve. Um, 
so that's kind of a squirrel. That's kind of like a, you know, an answer that, that, um, it's hard to pin down a little bit for me, but it's just like, that's, that's the work is like trying to figure that out. And we're doing what, what I think is our part to like, let's just build, let's build a foundation on which every, any, every, any and every creative and artist and person who wants to be one can step into and, and get resources and feel supported and get community. And let's start, let's start with that. That's, that's our effort. That's our, like what, what we can do to take care of, of what is New Orleans culture and what is every place's culture. Um, and if we can do that well, then maybe, you know, we can, we, we can both balance the, the, the roots of the magic with the progress that's inevitable. That's, that's a, I think that's a great answer, and I think the 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 way that you were describing it it still lends to this this notion that mm-hmm. it's a living breathing thing, you know, this sort of approach. It can't just be this one cure all, or we'll revisit it later. No, let's figure it out. And I think being able to welcome folks in, but also not just everyone that comes through for sort of like you know extracting, right? That's not kind of what we're we're looking for. And I don't know, you know. In, in certain organizations, certain like businesses, you you might leave a job and they do like an exit survey. I wonder if there's an equivalent like, you know, so for you artists that have left, what is your main reason? And you hear like maybe lack of resources, lack of structure, lack of support. And in the sort of like conversations I've had, I've had anecdotally speaking, it is those sort of things. And that ties back to what you were discussing, what you were describing a moment ago, you know, those sort of bullet yeah. points under well. And if folks feel like they're treated well, they're going to have, they're going to imprint on a place and they're going to give what they have to a place. And, you know, that's literally what I was talking about earlier, as far as my experience being in New Orleans, the, the times that I've been down there, like, I I don't say it as gas, you know, like, even if I'm just some guy working in a college, it's like, yo, Tulane, what's good? Like, can I, <laughs> can I get in? And that's that's a thing, but also it's a real consideration leaving home, leaving this place that I've had this this long relationship with and have had those ups and downs. But when it comes to sort of thinking through opportunities, you know, it's a city that's in a renaissance, but there are folks that are kind of being left out of that renaissance. And you see like outside influences, whether it be a D.C., whether it be in New York coming in and kind of impacting how the people who are already doing the work of what it means to be in the arts, the culture community here, they're having an impact on it. It's making it a little bit more challenging for folks and they don't feel supported. And I've, I've had these conversations with folks and that ties back to kind of what you were touching on. Like if people feel like they're being treated well and that there is that quote unquote vibrancy that everyone puts in their mission statements, <laughs> um, you know, I, I think it works out. And I think you're able to keep things that feel real. Um, and I, and I'll, I'll leave on this before I go into these these rapid fire questions with you. Like Starbucks are chains, right? And I remember going to a Starbucks on my birthday when I was with one of my buddies and we shared a room. He's a chronic snorer. And I was like, <laughs> I'm not going to be asleep. And so I wake up and I have my like, you have a Starbucks reward for your birthday. So I go to the Starbucks. I think it was on Canal Street or what have you. And I was like, all right, this is great. This is great. This feels like a New Orleans Starbucks. It's haunted. This is great. This is absolutely a New Orleans Starbucks. And it's something as sanitized and as franchised as a Starbucks, but it still had that sort of New Orleans tinge to it. And, and that's the thing. You know, something like that, that's a brand from Seattle. It, mm. it still hits you know, be based mm-hmm. on the place that it's at. No, totally. I mean, I think that it, the, the Starbucks being on Canal is inevitable. You know, we're, that's the world we're in. Yeah. And so the fact that like you felt this, it infused with New Orleans culture is really special and speaks to the power of the place. But I think we can't, like, we we also, it's like, I was thinking more about that question and as you were responding, things you made me think about is like, it's like a relationship. Like, we just have to be, we have to know that there's not, a, there's no, like this, the moments of like homeostasis when like everything's good, like those moments w- exist, but it's also going to be a, a constant conversation and ups and downs between like within a city. 
And we just have to be mindful of like both the balance of like listening to the folks who have been here and lived here, listening to the folks who just moved, honoring both voices um, and recognizing the context within all this is, this is playing out, which is like a racist historic, like historically racist context. Uh, but that, yeah. yeah, if we can, if we can take care of, of the, of the people in the place, then like, it's going it, to, whether Starbucks comes there or whoever comes there, it's still going to be that place because we care for the people. Yeah. And I mean, I, I did get a uh, smoked sausage latte when I was there. So, you know, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, so thank you for, for indulging the, the real questions. This was a uh, really, really great to chat. And now it's time to sort of piss away all of that goodwill, right? With my rapid fire questions. Um, so you know how rapid fire goes. These are kind of like the back end, right? Uh, almost like these were icebreaker questions, but I decided to leave it at the end instead of like immediately pissing off the guests. Um, so here's the first one. Here's the first one. Don't overthink. Okay. So from your vantage point, what is the one dish is the spirit of New Orleans? Uh, red beans and rice. You get it. You you absolutely get it. I had um I had this. I don't really talk to strangers a lot, but I found out I talk to more strangers when I go to New Orleans. Just people like, "Hey man, you look familiar." And I was like, "I don't." But go <laughs> on. And, and I I remember I was at a Piggly Wiggly or something like years and years ago. Like maybe the first time I was down there, and it was a guy who was a chef. He gave, basically told me how to make red beans and rice. This is the conversation. <laughs> so absolutely. <laughs> well, it's made every Monday. It's like you walk into a bar in New Orleans on a Monday, and it's just free. It's like in a little, it's in a little a catering dish, like on a little collapsible table, at the back of the bar, like just there, because that's like what, that's what the city's about. Is like red beans and rice is a Monday thing. You make it, it lasts a couple of days. It's like a really affordable meal to make. You just like get fed at a bar. It's great. It's it's funny you mentioned. That. I didn't know that that detail because I've never in the in the times I've gone, I've never been there on a Monday. Um. So this is the next one. Um, I, I'm really into pop culture and I try to infuse a bit of me in these questions. Um, what recent sort of pop culture or social, social media trend, trend has, um, you know, the, has most impacted like New Orleans's art? Like, you know, is there, you know, more like, like, like people that you're encountering from the art scene in New Orleans, are they using social media in this way? Or is it a particular TV show or what have you that has an impact on maybe you know, we're on a strike right now, but maybe folks um, filming there in New Orleans. What sort of pop culture or social media trend has had the most impact in New Orleans? Oh, no, Rob. I don't know. <laughs> I blow it on the second one. I, That's all good. I'm, I think I'm the, I'm trying purposely to like, to unplug from social media because um, it feel like, feels like really extractive to my ability to pay attention to anything. Sure. Um, I think there have been some like um there was a hip-hop song that came through now the name is gonna uh, i'm gonna i'll send it to you but a hip-hop song came through um i think through TikTok that that, yeah. that really popped up popped off here in the last like few months where people were like adding it to their TikToks or whatever now i can't remember the name but it was like basically it was from the west bank um i remember it like i was like oh wow no like TikTok is like making making some waves in the west bank um, but again, I'm, I'm blowing it with this cause I don't remember the name. Absolutely. No, it's all good. Um, so I, so I got, I got two left. Okay. Um, what is the place for you? Um, you know, I, 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 I like to walk wherever I go when I visit a new city, I'm walking and I'm looking for sort of those, those, those moments of inspiration. Um, I'll say you, when I was in, um, Austin, Texas, it was, uh, it was during a heat wave. So it was 106 on average which was goofy. And I remember walking in, in, in um, I think the uh, old East Austin, right? And um, I saw a bumper sticker and it's been on my mind a lot recently. I saw a bumper sticker and I got inspiration from it and it mentioned artist, the new magic. So that worked that into a question for the interviews I was doing later that day. So what is that area that, you know, in, in New Orleans that, or even, even abroad, um, that you've gotten like the most inspiration from, or at least something that shows up in your work. Mm. For me, it's always been the oak trees in New Orleans. Mm. And um, you're talking about a physical place, right, Rob? Like a yeah, 
Yeah. <laughs> the oak trees in New Orleans, like the being in the city of New Orleans at dusk and at like, yeah, or dawn, you feel like you're, that's when I felt like the moment I spoke to earlier, like I'm, I was 18, like, whoa, where am I? Like, I am alive and I'm just like a beast out here. I'm just like a mammal <laughs> out here in the, in nature. There's this, there's this part of city park that if you go to at the right angle, there's like this field of oak trees, um, each, all of them with Spanish moss. And if you stand at a certain angle, you can block out all the streetlights with the trees. And so you're just looking at this field and it's like, there's like steam rising off the grass. And there's like this, just like, you know, um, there's like a fog coming from the lake. Um, and it's like this, the, there's like this warm air that blows through the city that feels really Caribbean. Uh, yeah. That still every time, like it, it's, it happened last night, I was sitting in my garden, like, just like got the breeze, like just there's something that lifts your soul. And so I think I remain really inspired by that. I think it also really inspires lots of artists here because lots of work is around like th that speaks to the magic, speaks to like the nature here um, that that like and and then what those oak trees have seen is also really inspiring to think about like how much history and how many how many people that have come through and like and in their moments felt they were like i'm alive i'm 18 you know like how many different versions of me have there been like just living and trying to process and trying to be in this swamp it's just like so astounding to think about um yeah this this is the last one and you, you mentioned you mentioned a piece of this so i might as well follow up on it um what do you grow in your garden what are what are a couple of things you grow in your garden oh i got a Buku fruit trees right now. I mean, right now I planted them like five years ago. Um, but I got a grapefruit, a satsuma, a lemon, a lime, um, and a fig. And nice. at this point now they're like eight feet tall. They've got like a, some thickness to them, the, the, the trunk. I bought them when they were little itty bitty things or bought them. The city of New Orleans gave, gave them away. It was shut up to that program gave away fruit trees to this to anyone who wanted them um so yeah i spent a lot of time back there just like I, I put in a bunch of veggies this year it was my first real year of like let me prepare the soil let me like plant stuff from seed had very little success i had like you know maybe five tomatoes and like i did better with peppers had a lot of hot peppers um nice. and basil is on is on deck all the time because i got <laughs> and rosemary um but I just, it's a really nice, like, uh, place to go and unwind. And, um, I'm, I'm experimenting with some, there's a blueberry bush right next to this, like flowering plant, flowering, like perennial here. Um, I need to get my next mission is to get better with these plant names. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm just, it's just a place to like experiment and, and know that like things are going to fail and then things are going to work. And then you're just like, in conversation with those things and like like you would be with an art piece like you're just like out there and being consistently being out there you like just get a sense for how these how these plants and trees are responding um to the elements and to you and your care and um it's just a really helpful way to ground myself as i try to do this work to like care for the artist community that's that's great and, and thank you for um for for that extra texture there at the end um so with that I want to thank you for coming on to this podcast. This has been a treat. This has been totally a treat. And um, I want to invite and encourage you to share with the listeners anything you want in the final moments website. Um, thanks to that nature. The floor is yours. Rob, Rob, thank you so much for having me. Um, this is actually my first podcast. That so <laughs> was great. This is, this is awesome for me. <laughs> um, and yeah, I would love if folks check out Culturalist. Um, the list part is with a Y. It's, it's short for Cultural Catalyst because um, we're trying to catalyze culture by taking care of the people who create it. Um, and love for people to check that out. We're we're in the process of of growing right now. And um, but as I've been trying to say throughout this conversation, we want to serve the people you know serve serve artists. And so to hear from them and hear what they need. And hear what they think of this idea of this networked approach to discovery and to resourcing would mean a lot. Um, so you can reach me, you know, reach out to me. My information is on the website. Um, and yeah, thanks so much again, Rob. This has been a, a real pleasure for me. 
And there you have it, folks. I want to again thank Sam Bowler from Culturalist for coming on. And I'm Rob Lee saying that there's art, culture, and community in and around your neck of the woods. You've just got to look for it. 